Welcome back to another episode of The Set Position. My name is Cole Orner, along with my co-host, Zach Kruger. Um, we're here, have two special guests on with us today, Phil Sounders and Brad Benzing. Um, I'll go ahead and let them do a little introduction, and then we'll get rolling from there. Phil. How's it going, guys? Uh, Phil Saunders uh, from Rosedale slash Perry Hall. <laughs> Shout out. Um, <laughs> Grew up, played with uh, the Bays, went to Peril High, uh, ended up playing college at UMBC um, for four years, and then went over to Iceland, played for a couple years, and played for the Blast um, for a year that ended in 2015. Um, and now I um, assistant coach slash goalkeeper coach over at UMBC. Very nice. Brad? Um, also from Rosedale, born and raised. Uh, played my majority of my youth soccer with the Baltimore Bays as well. I went to Millersville University, graduated 2014. Uh, after college, joined Christos FC with my buddy Phil here. Won a few national championships, and uh, and I continue to still play with the unlimited team uh, going forward. Nice. Very nice. And now both of you had a pretty neat experience with Christos a couple of years back during the Open Cup. Um, run us through that experience and how, how it went for you guys. That was a whirlwind. Uh, probably <laughs> probably going to need, need some help filling in some of the gaps. But I know – so what we started – for the amateur side, it's, it's a long, long road because it's the amateur – what do you, you got to win, Brad? It's like you got to well, win – well, you start – yeah, I mean, you start out at the state cup level and it's state cup regional and then you head on the nationals. Um, but there's two cups for each state, for each regional, and for two – and there's two national championships for amateurs. So that particular year, we won both of the national championships and then – it must have been, I guess, this, the following year, about six months later, we, you know, we found ourselves in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup playing D.C. United. Um, but there's a, I mean, a, a lot goes into that. It's, you know, we're not practicing every day, but I mean, we're we're playing and traveling almost every weekend, and uh, it's it's a lot when you're, you know, working uh, a full time job, and you know, if you're married or you have kids, it's it's a lot. You know, it's a lot that goes on, and there's a lot that goes goes into it. But it was a lot of fun. I remember Definitely. specifically those like there was like three or four weeks there where it was nonstop. It was like I think we played, we went up to Richmond and traveled, came back, then had, then we had to go to what was it Chicago, and then came back from that, then played DC, and I think there was a trip in between there too, wasn't there? Like Cleveland or something? Yeah, or, I mean just. Every, when we were winning, you know, when we won the national championships, they also had like uh, like a, a kind of uh, a championship cup in Cleveland, which was the national, cha- you know, the amateur national champions like we were. It was the NPSL, I think, national champions. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, one or two other of, of the national leagues as far as like the, the younger – kind of unlimited teams they were mostly college kids but yeah I remember we when we got back from 
Chicago and then that right. morning. And then we and then that we got back from Chicago one morning and then that afternoon we were flying to Cleveland. So yeah, we got a very small, small taste of what it was like to be probably on the professional level of traveling around the country, uh, just going from kind of stadium to stadium and game to game. Yeah, I want to be pretty clear. If you guys don't know what the – to our listeners, if you guys don't know what the U.S. Open Cup is, essentially it's a gigantic tournament that after so many rounds, then the MLS teams join in. So essentially the fourth round, which is the game that they played D.C. United, was the first time that they – the MLS teams had to participate in this uh, tournament, essentially. So, you know, these guys went through so many rounds to get to this point, beating some USL teams and beating some NPSL teams to get there. And these guys don't practice and, uh, you know, I would say drink pretty heavily as a group. So <laughs> it's something that's difficult to do, especially as an, you know, an amateur men's team. But a lot of the guys on the team played pretty high level. You know, you had a couple guys that played at Loyola or UMBC and, you know, you guys all kind of grew up together, so I think that that helped you guys with your team chemistry and stuff like that. Yeah, team chemistry was huge throughout, I think. And like you said, I mean, we joke around about the drinking and stuff, but that is a good way for us all to get together and hang out and kind of get that camaraderie through it all. So, I mean, it was it was a crazy three, four weeks, but it was definitely one of the best times of my life for sure, looking back at it. I loved every second of that game. It was awesome. I was there. It was it was a lot of fun. It was hot as freaking hell, man. It was so hot um, down at the sportsplex in, in uh, down in Maryland, and it was interesting because you know they didn't DC United didn't really start all their starters. They kind of started with you know a couple of the guys, and then you guys go up one nothing, uh, you know, and it was that place went nuts when you guys scored. It was there was a lot more fans for you guys there than there was for DC United, even though they were the home team, and um, it was crazy because you guys have like an over forty team. You guys have all these youth guys and. Um, it was just it was a lot of fans there for Christos, and it was it was nuts when you guys hit that first goal. Um, and we and we had Mama do on an early episode, and he kind of talked about how he views, you know, finishing and those kinds of things, and what he looks at from a goalkeeping perspective. But when you're walking into that into that situation, right, fourth round of the of the U.S. Open Cup, what's going through your both your minds as you guys are warming up to to face an MLS side? I mean, I, I, I thought there's a hell of a lot more pressure on them than it is on us. <laughs> I was going to say the same exact thing. It's like we're already winners that we're there. We get to play them, and it's, you know, it, we can't lose at that point. If we could pull off a win, it would be amazing. But uh, it was just – it was so much fun. And, you know, you know, we had kind of – getting to play in front of a lot of the people that we got to play in front of and people coming out to support us was really, was really awesome. And – kind of going through the whole pregame warm-up as a professional team. Um, it was a very professional setting, and uh, the warm-ups on the field, a lot of the fans that showed up there an hour early just to watch us warm up and, and cheer us on. And uh, it was it was really amazing, to be honest. But, yeah, I, I completely agree with Phil. It was, there's a lot more pressure on them than it was on us, and it was just able for us to go out there and, and be loose and, and play and, and just give them the best game that we had. I mean, not to mention we we had we played a pro team two rounds before that and ended mm -hmm. up taking that game one nothing. So it was kind of – it wasn't our first time playing a pro team in, what, three weeks? <laughs> yeah. Second team in three weeks, so. Mm -hmm. It started to catch fire, too, after you guys beat Richmond, and it was interesting to see, like, like the Scott Van Pelt show had had a huge segment about Christos, and that was something else to see on ESPN. 
you know, and it, it just kind of caught fire really quickly, which was awesome. I mean, I even saw Crystal Dunn at that game, which I thought was cool. <laughs> she was there. Um, but, yeah, you guys led for almost 80 minutes, and then you guys lost, you know, the last 10 because they subbed on a bunch of their, their actual MLS starting guys. But it was impressive to see you guys have to absorb so much pressure um, at times during that game because, you know, they are professional athletes and they're, they're incredibly fit, you know, and you guys work, you know, 40, 50-hour jobs, you know, hours a week. And um, seeing you kind of dictate and work with your back four, you know, what are some key things that helped you guys, you know, absorb some of that, of that pressure during that game? Or even like, you know, in your time as a college or a professional goalkeeper, you know, what are some tricks that you learned over the years that helps you control the back four and the space and behind that back four? Well, I mean, I think it starts with, I mean, we were playing with these guys, like, like you said, a lot of them, we've, we've been playing together since we were teenagers. And then you add a few other guys that I think, uh, Josh Taylor, he was in the back and I mean, he's an experienced player, played at a really high level. So it's not like we had a bunch of scrubs in front of us. Um, so we were pretty lucky in that, that way. But honestly, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything too special about, I think you just got to be at least personally, I like to try and keep it short. I don't like to say, you know, 15 different things to one guy, like try and keep it short and specific. And, um, and make make sure they can hear it. So you got to be loud, especially in the setting like DC United with what there's thousands of people there. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to definitely make sure they're they're hearing you and understanding you. So I just like trying to be short and sweet and specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you're playing against a team like that, uh, that's at such a high level that can move the ball quickly and efficiently, uh, you know, within a second or two it's important when you're organizing your players that you keep it very quick and you keep your head on a swivel. And because I'm sure the four of us here have caught ourselves at times where you're trying to organize the backside of the field and you, you go to turn back to the ball and the ball's not where it was before. And and now you're out of position. Mm -hmm. So it's important to just constantly stay at a high level, talking to your back line, keeping them organized because like I said, the other team just moves it as a mu- at a much efficient rate. Yeah, and I think, Brad, you kind of made it, uh, brought up a good point there. I think kind of the idea of, the, of spatial awareness, understanding of what's going on, and constantly having to look across your back line. Yeah, it's all well and good to communicate and organize and, and shift your players, but you kind of said that our head has to be on a swivel at all times to f- see where the ball is, what where's the ball moving to, what's happening behind us. So, what are some things that the two of you have kind of used throughout your career to in those instances where the ball is on one side of the field, but you've got to organize what's going on behind you. How do you, how, what, what have you found to work well to, to kind of keep both in perspective? I know it's, I think it's a lot. I mean, you talk to Mamadou, I'm sure at some point, you know, they're constantly in the center midfield, checking their shoulders, kind of taking pictures of what's behind them. Same kind of thing for us. I think you always got to check that back shoulder for us, making sure our outside back is check is pinched in. He's not caught out making sure that they're defending, especially when crosses are coming in or so I I think for me, I wouldn't, I would take a quick look, but it's not like I'm staring over backside. It's a quick glance. And if you see a defender, you see a four, like make sure you're just giving them a quick little reminder that they're not sleeping back there, even though the ball's on the other side of the field. Yeah. And do, do those checks get become less often 
as the ball starts moving closer to goal? For sure, yeah. Sometimes I would just give him a reminder. If I've, if I've talked to him maybe 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds ago, as the ball's coming down, I might just give them another reminder, even though I'm not looking. Mm-hmm. So give them a shout, but not necessarily me turn and look. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as like, the ball is closer, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, just to uh, Cole's point, I mean, as the ball gets closer to goal, just you, you get more compact and there's just less, um, you, you can't, you can't yell out the, the direction quick enough just because you're too compact to do so. But as the ball is getting taken down, you know, one side of the field and you're, and you're doing your, your head checks, you're, you're have your head on the swivel. Uh, there's so many things that go into um, keeping your defense defense organized. Um, it comes with a lot of experience and repetition. Um, personnel has a big uh, factor on it as well, depending on who you're playing with, but, uh, it's just important to keep your players in line, and uh, as the ball gets closer to goal, you know you're constantly just. Uh, I'm kind of thinking from a standpoint of of levels of you know where's the most dangerous that the offense can be levels of the field. You know you're the first level, but your second level is your back line. Where's the most danger there? And then you're looking at the next level of the midfield and saying, how can I organize the midfield as well as the ball is getting closer to goal? So you can make sure that everything's in line to, to so the other team can't even get a shot off. Yeah. Okay. So like trying to limit opportunities for sure. Uh, once the ball penetrates into the, into the, you know, our defensive third is that's what we're trying to do, right? Limit opportunities as much as possible. And Phil, you kind of touched on pinching in that backside. I think that's really important to, to make sure that they're staying connected because if you don't pinch in when they do get a switch, you know, you don't want a through ball coming through um, and to find that weak side. I think that's critical to, to keep that, that shape and limit those opportunities. Um, you know, for people who are just kind of starting out as goalkeepers or, or goalkeeper coaches in that situation, when you're trying to limit a shot, what type of shot are you trying to limit to? Um, is it something that's going to be more near post or straight at you? Or is there a certain area of the field that you guys try to funnel something to that's easier for you to handle? Man, I, I think the easy answer is you always – I've always been taught just trying to push them wide, if anything. Um, don't want any free sh- – I'd feel more comfortable getting a shot from 25, 30 than I would if an uncontested shot from 18. Like, just the simple things – but yeah, obviously, I'm. I'd much rather be telling my defenders to push the, um, push the forwards or push the offensive team wide, um, as it's just a little less dangerous. Um, it's just less of an angle for the shooter yeah. to to shoot at. Right. They get pushed outside. It's just a better angle, and then that's what comes with repetition and and time and and experience. Is that you're cutting off these angles and you're moving your personnel in front of you to you know, possibly cut like you would have your near post while your center defender or your outside defender would have your back post, depending on where the shot's coming from. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, kind of going off of that, it is important for us to kind of try to shift everything wide. So I think at that point too, we can kind of get more numbers to shift over and hopefully close down that, close down the space and where the ball is before they even have an opportunity to take a shot. So now we're not even seeing one in the first place. So I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of important too. I mean, when it's a little bit more central, it comes a little bit more difficult because now they have more options that they're maybe able to play a through ball into a – maybe it's a midfielder on the ball and they're able to play a through ball to a center forward now 
or they're even able to go backwards where if it's maybe out wide we can compress that space and shift everybody over and close that down and they're not they're not even able to get across or a shot so um i think that's a great point there that if we can shift everything wide that's that's important in this instance as well and then continuing on with the working with the back four do you guys feel is that you're trying to hold a little bit of a higher line yourself and staying connected with your back four to prevent that ball into space for sure i know that was a hard thing for me to get especially in the college game i, I thought i'd looking back i could have been a lot higher um, i also was lucky i had omar and marquez as my back, so i didn't have to worry about too many through balls with them being so fast but uh that was one thing that i had to work a lot with um at the the next level when i was over in iceland was me personally keeping a higher line and not just staying in my comfort zone of like 18 to 20 yards out um but that that's another thing it's just something you got to kind of get push your comfort level um to get yeah I know. Yeah, I think, Go ahead, Brad. I think, I think again, yeah, with your personnel, I mean, you got you have really speedy back uh, center backs like like Omar and Marquez. You you don't have to go as high. You can sit back a little bit because you know the through balls or the balls over top. The defenders are going to catch where you, you can go and you can drop back and get set yourself, and you don't need to be caught off in no man's land trying to get to a through ball. Um, even if the, the other forward or the midfielder gets to it first, you know your defense is going to be there in time. I think if you're going to have a little bit slower of, of defenders, you're going to sit a little bit higher and play more of like a, a sweeper-keeper role or just, just stay higher, keep your, high, your line a little higher so you're there for any through balls or, or balls over the top to, yeah. to field. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing as a team that you know is a lot more direct it's, as well. It depends on personality. Yeah, it depends on your personnel and it depends on the goalkeeper as well. I mean, not every goalkeeper is going to be able to read balls the same way. And you also need to be extremely athletic if you want to play that role of, you know, being high and being able to cut off through balls and, and balls over the top. If if you're not a particular speedy, particularly speed, speedy goalkeeper, you might sit back a little bit and, and play play the save. Like let the, let the goalie or let the, the forward come to you. And then you, you put yourself in a, in a one-on-one, you know, save position. And that's something that you might be really good at. And it, it probably would work out better in your favor. The odds would be better in your favor if you went that way rather than trying to uh, beat a forward and be caught off in no man's land. And then, you know, they're shooting at an open goal. Yeah. Phil, what, just, were some ways, what were some ways when you were in Iceland playing professionally that you had to adapt? Or what were some things that they taught you over there that, you know, helped you grow in that area? Well, I think at that time the game was changing for keepers. So it was super in college, right? It was long ball, uh, goalkeeper, goal kicks were all long for us in at UMBC. We didn't necessarily we, – we didn't play long ball as a team, but it was – I got the ball. We weren't necessarily trying to play out of the back. When I got to Iceland, it was play out of the back or nothing. So it was like I had no choice but to get a whole lot better with my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if there was a through ball, it wasn't me just coming out and clearing it. I was supposed to find a pass and keep possession. But I think that at that time was like 2013 or 20, yeah, 2013, 2014. I think around that time, like 2010 and one, the game was kind of changing for us keepers. And now if you can't, if you don't have good feet, you almost can't be a keeper. Yep. Right. Um, right. So that was definitely a big shock for me. And it was luck. I had, I was lucky because after my first year in Iceland, 
I then went and played for the blast. And again, indoor, you have to be good with your feet. So I was super uncomfortable for the first year, but I got back out to Iceland the second year. It was, it felt like I had years on the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From indoor to going back to outdoor. So that's how it should be. You know, yeah. all, all goalkeepers should be good with their feet like that. That should be one of the prerequisites <laughs> of being a professional player. I mean, how many times do you watch a, a game and, you know, the goalkeeper messes up because of a simple pass back or, or they, they feed a bad ball to their defender and they mess up. It's just, yeah, um, you know, it's a shame. And, and the goalkeepers that do that consistently, you know, hopefully they would get weeded out. Sometimes they get through, but, you know. Honestly, that, that's from a coaching perspective too. I think when, you, when you're giving services, that needs to be sharp and on point as well. So you need to be giving the service where it needs to be. Like, Brad, I remember when I was training you a couple of times, man, if I had like two bad services, you'd be like, come on, Zach, like get your craft yeah. together. Let's go. Like, you know, because it needs, yeah. you need the reps, man. It needs to be good training. You don't want to be out to waste your time. So, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with it. We just had uh, Zach McMath on, our, on another previous episode too, and he talked about the importance of that distribution piece and, and how that's one way that he was able to, you know, set himself apart from other goalkeepers at a younger age. And that helped mm-hmm. propel him to, you know, a U-17 national team was just being able to play with his feet. So definitely think it's, it's critical. If you're going to be especially dealing with the ball behind, you know, behind your back four. Well, as goalkeepers are with their teams and they're training other goalkeepers, I mean, if you have three or four goalkeepers in a training session, it's not only respectful to try to give the, the goalkeeper that's in goal the best reps possible, but take pride in your reps and, and get better yourself of being able to put the ball wherever you want. Because in situations where if you need to chip the ball to your outside defender or an outside midfielder, or you need to play a nice driven ball to the midfielder, you know, that all comes when you're, when you're doing, doing reps and taking shots and things and passing balls in, in goalkeeper session. And I just want to bring up, uh, and Phil knows, I don't know if, if Zach, you've trained with him, but Tom Walk, man. Oh my gosh. Yes. This, that, man, guy, that guy, that guy, that guy could he was an assassin he was a yes. goalkeeper for people who don't know he's, always he's, the worst rep <laughs> for people who don't know tom walk he he is a goalkeeper coach for the baltimore bays you know mm-hmm. our youth teams and and he was an assassin he could put the ball wherever he wants and that was just from years of him being a goalkeeper and just yeah. focusing on his reps he could put it wherever he wanted he was always like finish on a save but that next rep yeah I used to train with him and Akira Fitzgerald a lot, and it was brutal because Akira, like, obviously was very good, played at Wake Forest, and, you know, just training, with, just training next to a goalkeeper who's quality and can conserve a ball, man, like, you get so much better so quickly. Instead of just getting one service from one person, if you can get multiple services from multiple people who can serve the ball well, I think that's critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's finding uh, – I mean, working with your feet, I think it's finding those downtimes maybe over the winter or – obviously like playing indoor and things like that. But I think it's finding those downtimes um, that we can do little exercises that it's just maybe passing a ball off of a wall or having someone pass it to you, receiving it and taking a touch in a certain direction. I think those little things are even just doing different ball manipulations with your feet as a goalkeeper. I know that was something that I had done. One of the winners, I think in between uh, my junior and senior year of college was that I did a lot of that over the winter and I found it to be hugely successful for me that following year and being so much more comfortable with my feet and being able to play um, more efficiently and quicker. I changed my goalkeeper sessions probably two or three years ago 
just because I, I would always just go full with the fundamentals, the technical stuff, and with shooting, whatever, you know, the typical. But now I, for the past few years, been ending with like at least 10 to 15 minutes of distribution and um, ball work with their feet just to make sure we're not, you know, alienating that aspect of it. Yeah. But that's why it's good for the the goalkeeper to not just like once a once a session starts with a team that the that the coach goes all right goalkeepers go with the go with the goalkeeper coach for the entire session like it's important for them to get in and get in, in into those possession games and those small sided uh, possession games and those small sided games and playing in the field because it helps them you know with their feet so when they're called upon in a game that they're able to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's how that's how it was when I was growing up. You know, we were able to play the field, and and we just transitioned into goalkeeping, and that's what made me a better field player. Um, is playing small sided and playing possession, and and you know, playing with the pug goals or something like that. Three on, you know, three v three. It's good not to to not to alienate your goalkeepers in that perspective of, of missing out on uh, proper, you know, being good with your feet. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And, and obviously, you know, growing up in Maryland, I think futsal is huge there. And um, being able to be technically proficient as a goalkeeper in futsal is critical, right? So, um, you know, I grew up playing futsal in Maryland. I'm sure you guys both played futsal. Um, how did that impact your development as, a, as just an overall soccer player? And how did that help you gain more confidence, which then filters into, you know, being able to make better decisions as you guys got older? I think futsal – Futsal is good for keepers in a few ways, and then it can harm us a little bit in a few ways too, I think. Obviously, with your feet, you're playing a lot with the, with your feet, so it helps you there. And your reactions, a lot of shots in short areas, so you got to be quick with your reactions. Um, but I know it was always a hard transition from futsal to outdoor because your set position, you're leaning back, it's a lot of foot saves. So technically, you're not always doing the right things. Um, so you usually took a week or two to correct the technical aspects of just getting set forward, getting your body weight um, transitioned a bit better. But I think technically with your feet and stuff, it's, it's definitely Yeah, decision-making as well. I mean, you're in such close quarters. If you make a bad decision, they're right on top of you, you know, taking a shot. So that was, you know, futsal always helped with that as well. But, yeah, it's tough to transition when you go to futsal to soccer to indoor or whatever it may be, you know, you're making yourself more athletic in, in certain ways, but you're you're messing your technique up a little bit. But you, you get used to it, and, and you, you become a better player after it. Definitely made me a better player playing with the Blast for that year and then going out back to Iceland. I felt like a whole different keeper um, playing with my feet and, like, with the distribution and stuff um, and the decision-making. Definitely felt like I had a whole lot more time on the ball um, and a lot more time to make decisions, which was nice. Yeah, I think it's it's something that, especially from a coaching perspective, we shouldn't necessarily um, tell tell our goalkeepers to not go do those sorts of things in the offseason. I think it's something that we should encourage them to do because at the end of the day, they're still playing soccer. They're still doing things to improve improve themselves outside of being on the on the natural surface outside. Um, so I think it's important that we do encourage them to do those sorts of things because they are working on other aspects of the game and Phil as you said it yeah there's a little bit of a transitional moment where now you're having to work back in your set position I think futsal and indoor were standing up a little bit taller trying to take up more of the goal because everything is a little bit closer where outside we can be set a little bit lower we've got to be 
ready to explode in any direction to to make saves. So I think it is that that quick being able to change, but we've done it for so long that it it's an easy transition back. Mm -hmm. And for like the younger ones, I know with coaching at the union, they all play indoor and um, futsal all throughout the winter. So then I can see it a little bit where they're diving backwards or they're going for foot saves instead of a simple collapse dive. And I think it probably just takes a week or two uh, getting back outside and you're back to normal. Mm -hmm. Is there any like little details that, um, you know, that you like to talk with your center backs and be like, Hey, like I like to have some sort of feedback that you heard me or, you know, as we're trying to pinch and, 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 you know, keep things to a wide space to prevent that through ball to come through, you know, one thing that I just, I know that I liked personally is like, I just a little thumbs up that they heard me and that we're all on the same page that went a long way for me. So is there anything that you guys that did that was a little bit different in your communication to help with, you know, prevent a ball getting slid through and into that awkward space and behind your back four? Um, I think the thumbs up, I don't know, I remember Omar and like Kaz and those guys, they gave me a little thumbs up or I didn't necessarily need that as long as they were listening and I could see that they were comprehending what I was saying. But if it was a really loud environment or something, I remember we played Maryland at Maryland and there was what, like 6,000 people, 7,000 people, whatever at that stadium. So you could, like, I could hardly hear myself screaming. So when I'm letting Omar and Kez know right shoulder, left shoulder, drop, step, whatever, I would, I remember before the game saying, like, just give me a little thumbs up if you can hear me. Because if not, I mean, there's, I'm not going to be wasting my breath back there and losing my voice if, if you're yeah. not hearing my instructions. So. And if you guys don't know uh, the University of Maryland and the way their field's set up, like, their student section is always packed, and it's right behind the goal that you're standing in. So it's, it's really hard from a, a visiting team goalkeeper perspective at Ludwig Field. That's just – it's a hard environment to play in. So – um, if you guys haven't checked out Maryland, please check out their field. It's such a cool place to, to actually see a game at. And I was at that game. I know it was the year after you graduated, Phil, but um, Brad, you and I were at that game that they upset Maryland in the NCAA tournament. That was pretty dope. I like that one. That was a good time. That was when they went to the Final Four, though, too. Yeah, that was a really good run. Yeah. I think, Phil, you brought up a point about the, um, about the communication piece and just giving a thumbs up. I think at times as a goalkeeper – we don't always need to have someone speak something back to us. We can have some sort of visual communication as well that gives us that we understand of what's, of what's going on. I think a lot of times um, younger goalkeepers are always looking for verbal feedback mm. from their players and aren't necessarily thinking, okay, well, a head nod or a thumbs up or maybe them just even turning their head slightly to kind of hear what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's a form of communication that I think we've got to pick up. And that's just, us as goalkeepers knowing our players and understanding what, what they're trying to communicate to us. That's exactly, what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, just reading their body language. And that comes with uh, the chemistry of the team and um, communicating, uh, you know, in between plays or communicating before or after the game and, and being on the same page. Uh, that's a good point. I was thinking the exact same thing. Because yeah, I know like if I'm, if I'm saying, for like Omar right shoulder. I don't need him to give me a thumb. If, if he just gives a little check, right. That's mm -hmm. all. I don't, he doesn't need to, you know, give me a thumbs up. Uh, okay. Right. Turn, like, cause he needs to be focusing on the game and on the ball and his positioning as well. So he doesn't need to, you know, take too much of his time to figure it out. Right. Right. Is there a, a level of trust that ends up being formed between you and a center back of dealing with space and behind? Like, 
you know, when you're working with your center backs for a long period of time, they start to know your range and where you can get to. Is there a level of comfort that then comes from that level of trust? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of changes per game and per forward. And, you know, if it's a really quick forward, how high of a line are we going to have? Or if it's more of a hold up forward, you know, I think it, it kind of changes per game. But I think the biggest thing is, I mean, as a keeper, you got to kind of lead the back line. So you're going to get on them. I mean, I know Brad likes to give a good yell and uh, get on people because you kind of have to back there. But um, the biggest thing is knowing that it's not malicious. You know, we're just trying to – we're looking out for each other. It's just sometimes you got to change your tone to let them know that it's a little more urgent or less urgent. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's not – we're not yelling at them because we don't like the person. It's, you know, we're just trying to get a point across. Yeah. It's delivery, just like with any leadership position. It's uh, communicating in the way that the individual needs to be communicated to. And that takes a long time to try to figure out. I'm still figuring it out in my lifetime. <laughs> you got to know your players, too. You're not, you're not going to want to yell at somebody who gets their feelings hurt quick. Or I, exactly. I think knowing, knowing your players is definitely a, a big part of it. Yeah, That's I mean, huge. Brad, working with you at Millsville, I think that was a transition that – you know, I think those guys didn't understand the – like that that concept, I guess, uh, initially that that's just kind of how it is in Baltimore. Like you're going to help each other out, but we, we may be loud, but it's not me, you know, not me being a dick, but like, you know, it's, we're just trying to help each other out. And I think that was something that, you know, your freshman and sophomore year that kind of rubbed people the wrong way, but then once they got used to you, they were like, I mean, he's just looking out for my back and just trying to keep the ball out of the net, you know, and – end up turning out to be a pretty successful time at Millsville, right? And and, um, and and I do think that that relationship got healthier as it went on. But I definitely think, right, that, that relationship between you and your players, you got to know the person. And, you know, the way you may talk to, to, to your center back who is, you know, really, really good, and if you have an outside back who struggles a little bit, you may not be as, as hard on that person or um, the way you may communicate with them might change a little bit. Um, I just know that at the Division Two level, as the level kind of starts to, you know, drop off a little bit compared to Division One, I, I think it, you have to really know your players because some of them are going to be okay technically and some are not going to be so good technically. And I'm, the three of us can kind of, you know, remember, I'm sure at least one or two guys that were like, oh, God, he's on the ball. Like, everybody can tuck in. <laughs> and she had to, here it comes, you know. And I think that's just, you know, another level of like, all right, he's prone to this. So I need to prepare for that, you know, and I think that's crucial to be, you know, communicating and thinking about those things. Yeah. I mean, I think another thing is, I mean, you can yell, I could yell at, for example, when I was at UMBC, I could yell at Liam until I was blue in the face and he wouldn't care. If I yelled at Omar, I might give him a little, <laughs> Hey, good, good job. Good Pat. Like, I might give him some kind of compliment the next time he does something well. So he knows, you know, his confidence stays up that he doesn't think I'm just ragging on him and then his confidence goes down. So I think there's, that's one of those things where if, as long as you know, know your player, so you're, you're making sure that the, the team chemistry is still up and that the confidence level doesn't go down. Right. No, I think that's great. So one last question here to kind of wrap up this, this segment and I, um, from both of you. What is one piece of advice that you would give to a young goalkeeper? Obviously, having hopefully having aspirations to move, move up the level at some point. But what would what would your one piece of advice advice be? I think it's it's not gonna you're not gonna get better overnight. Um, I I think a lot of a lot of the people that I talk to and kids that I train, 
think, all right, I'm going to get two or three goalie sessions and then I'm going to be a D1 player. And it's like, dude, this is going to take, you know, years and years and untold amount of sessions to, to kind of get this, to master this position. There's a lot of things that, a lot of things that come into play when you're trying to be a, a good keeper. And I think we're all still working on them now. <laughs> so yeah. mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's definitely not going to, it's going to, it's going to take a while. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah, I, I agree. That's great advice. Um, kind of piggyback on that. Uh, there's just so many uh, sessions that are unseen, you know, behind the scenes that that people don't know about that go into a successful career. Uh, you know, Zach, Zach can attest to this. I'd always call him up while we were in school and I'd be like, hey, let's go get a session in just me and you. And, and him and I would just go out to the field and do an hour session by ourselves. Um, that's what it takes. It's, it's not going to be, you know, it's, it's an everyday thing. If you want to be the best, you have to train every single day. Um, that might sound like a lot, but to somebody who, uh, if it's important enough to them, it's not going to be a lot. And, uh, uh, another thing that I always told people is just be in shape all the time. That's the that makes it the most easiest thing ever to, to go into preseason, just be in shape. Yeah. I promise you it'll make your fitness testing go a lot easier. <laughs> yes. I am not, I am not notorious for being the most fit goalkeeper. Um, and I struggle, I've always struggled with that and it's not one of my strengths, but, um, I can definitely tell you that when you're fitter and you're more, you know, agile and you're ready to go, you're going to make more saves. You're going to gain more inches. Yeah. Well, Phil, Brad, we appreciate you guys joining us on this episode. Um, it's been a pleasure having the two of you and, and kind of breaking down this topic. And uh, Zach, as always, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Set Positions.